Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. I'll never know what my company's worth until someone way down the road is willing to write me a check in the price they're willing to pay for my company. I hear that all the time and it's total BS because you can absolutely measure and monitor and track the value of your business while you own it without even having to sell the company. And that is exactly what we're going to be diving into in this uh, three-part series. We're going to be demystifying business valuations so that way you as an owner of a privately held company know, can figure out and understand and know that what you're doing and what you're investing in will grow a more valuable company because you understand what creates value. So in this three-part series, I'm just going to give you a quick overview and then we'll jump right into it because today I have my business partner and dear friend Pat Hobby on the show where we're going to be really setting the stage about demystifying business valuations by introducing some concepts that we have pulled from the intentional growth training. And again, I always recommend go taking that uh, and checking that out at arcona.io if you want to really, really deep dive into all this stuff. But today we're going to be talking about the difference between intrinsic financial value, which is the value of the business based on the risk of the cash flow that you can measure and monitor while you own the company without going to a transaction. Same things that ESOPs and private equity firms do while they're growing the company. They're also measuring and monitoring that value. So Pat and I are going to be breaking that down so you have an understanding of how you can do it, how to think about value as it relates to your company and the future value. And we're going to be diving into the normalized EBITDA and what that is and how that works. So that way, you again, we can you can get more clarity on how to measure and monitor that while you own the company. And then we're going to be diving into multiples because at the end of the day, you're going to times normalized EBITDA by a multiple, which brings you to enterprise value. And then Pat and I then break down enterprise value versus equity value versus net proceeds and how you can measure and track and monitor all this while you own the company today without having to sell. And then we introduce the topic of of transaction strategic value when you go to sell the company and there's a buyer and a seller and there's a purpose of the deal, which humans, emotions, strategies, a lot of different things that factor into it. So that's what Pat and I are going to be introducing on today's episode. Next episode, I'm going to be bringing on Dave Deal, who is the CEO of Prairie Capital, speaking about valuations from the eyes of a financial buyer like ESOPs, management buyouts, et cetera. So Dave and I are going to be talking about what that means. And so you have a better understanding of intrinsic financial value. And then on the third episode, I'm going to be having Ted and Eric, who are, uh, Ted was on the, uh, Schluter was on the show from, uh, it was probably last year, branding for buyout about if you're going to sell to a third party, how do you build the company and brand it for an eventual buyout and sale to a third party? Super pumped for these, th- uh, these three episodes. And hopefully this episode with Pat Hobby and I will introduce these topics so that way you're not intimidated by that and you can start to learn and digest these concepts so you can continue the learning journey with us. If you have not checked out the Intentional Growth Financial Assessment, check it out in the show notes because you can go in and check out how your financials are organized and how to build them so you can essentially adopt a lot of the practices that Pat and I are talking about today. Thanks everybody for tuning in and without further ado, here is my episode on demystifying valuations with Mr. Pat Abbey. 
You ever found yourself in your office after an executive meeting and you're sitting there going, I have huge decisions to make, whether it's hiring that next key employee, buying that next piece of machinery, buying a building, launching a location or product or whatever it might be, and you're sitting there going, is this the right decision? And then you think back about the original vision you had when you started the business or the vision you have right now that you know is possible in the marketplace and you sit there and go, how do you know and how do I know that what I'm doing is the right thing when realistically you have the option to just take all the money home and solve for annual cash flow and essentially just have a job that's kicking out a lot of cash. The reason that you would do all those things is because you want to grow a company that's worth a bunch of money that gives you the freedom of choices to do what you want long term. Whether that's take a back seat and be a passive investor, whether that's sell part of it or some of it, essentially just have as many choices as you want. But what we find is that most times entrepreneurs and business owners are solving for annual cash flow because they don't know how to measure and monitor the value of the business and where they are today and how what they're investing and doing is growing a more valuable business and how to measure that into the future. And I had experienced the exact same thing. I ran a family business that was doing 20 million in revenue, 100 and some employees. And my dad and I had this constant conversation back and forth about what we should be doing and where we should be going, but we never really knew whether what we were spending our time and money on was making us progress towards that eventual goal of having a valuation that we wanted that gave us the choices. So then you have to sit there and go, maybe I should just take the money home or I should just hope and pray. That is exactly why we created this financial assessment because if you organize your financials in a certain way and we have this financial foundation with four components, you take this assessment, it's 22 questions, you don't need your financials and at the end result of it, there's a results page where Pat, my partner and I walk through five videos to show you a case study of what good looks like and how to actually project out the future value of the company and how you can make the, the decision's clear today to say, if I do these things, what's the impact on cash flow today, my ability to fund my growth, take the distributions, pay for taxes, all while staying in line, progressing towards the valuation that I want. So go take the assessment below and I hope you enjoy. Well, Mr. Pat Ivy, here we are again. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, so I am very excited to have this conversation because we just wrapped up a theme about how to view your company as a financial asset, which you have teed up with your the intro of that theme. And as people are starting to get a feel for it, you and I are uh, introducing these themes as we continue to go on. And right after someone starts thinking about their company as a financial asset, the next question is, well, how the heck do valuations work? And what's so it worth? <laughs> what's it worth? What does it matter? How do we grow value if we don't even know what the heck value is and how to track and measure it? And I want to start with this question. I hope that, that's the question people are asking themselves. That would be a, that would be a very that good be, That's progress, right? That's progress. progress. So, you know, you, you and I both get this question a lot, which is, it's not necessarily a question, it's a statement that I think you and I and our mission at Arcona is to really to just debunk. And it's the statement of, you know what, I'll never know what my company's worth till 10 years down the road when and how I decide to sell and someone's willing to write me a check. The only time I'll ever know what it's worth is when someone's willing to pay me a certain purchase price down the road. So I'm going to just say, what do you, well, what would your response be to that? It's not true. I mean, that's <laughs> not true. It, it, I know it, it seems daunting a little bit, but, but, you know, all kinds of companies do valuations, get valuations, you know, on an ongoing basis for various reasons. ESOPs, companies that are ESOPs get evaluation every year. It's not because they're getting ready to sell or, or something's happening. That's just part of the law that they have to, 
get a valuation so they can tell their participants in the ESOP what their shares are worth. And and so it, it can be done. There's It's really important once you start thinking about your business as an asset to figure out where you are and where you want to go. I mean, you, you got to have all those pieces of information. It's, it's how you always talk about Google Maps. You got to have a point A and a point B. Mm-hmm. You know, point A is, well, what is it worth today? And what's it point B is, what is it worth at some point in the future? Whether or not you're thinking about selling, you, mm-hmm. you just want your asset to grow over the next five years. You know, you have no intentions of selling it. So you can, there's a, there's a way we're not valuation licensed valuation experts, but been through so many deals. I mean, and, and we understand that there's, there's a way to come up with a, a, a pretty good range of value for your company as it exists today. And we're going to be unpacking the concepts. There's a, a few different concepts that we're going to unpack. I think it's close to th- three to five or something like that. These concepts to help people think about this as the as their ownership. And mm-hmm. we're talking about the ownership role now ownership. of the equity and the asset. And you know, there's this, especially in today's marketplace, so much confusion of what really creates value. Like, I mean, you look on the stock market or you, you know, the public markets get all the attention because people can log in 24 seven and see the tickers going up and down. But then there's also this whole world of private equity. And you and I talk about these stats where there's like 39, a little over 3,900 public companies and like 8,000 private equity backed companies that people can't log in and see a ticker symbol of how much they are worth, but they're doing they're doing the same thing. They're tracking and measuring how it's worth because you worked at a PE firm. Mm-hmm. So like, what is it that creates real value? Cash flow. <laughs> Sustainable, <laughs> predictable, and transferable cash flow. When, when you buy a stock or you invest in a company or something, you're putting money down today that's worth, based on the cash flows and anticipation of the cash flows that are coming in the future. I don't care if you're buying Apple stock or you're buying a, a company to to own. How about you're, Peloton? <laughs> or, well, we won't go there. But you know, and just one comment: the, the markets the market's correcting itself for those companies who've never made money. That's that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> but the value of a company is based on its cash flow in the future. And valuation experts go through all this exercise of discounting the future cash flows and all these other things. But what, you, what it's really worth is the cash flow that it can generate in the future. And the more sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow there is, the more it's worth. Say and, it again. Uh, sustainable, predictable, and transferable. The more your cash flow are those three things, sustainable, predictable, and transferable, the more your company's worth. Because a buyer would say that's a really good business model. They have sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow. So I'm going to pay more for it as opposed to somebody who's thinking, ah, eh, that cash flow is really risky. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure it's going to show up after I own it. So I'm not going to pay very much for it. So understanding that is the first step in getting to the point where you can put a stake in the ground that says, okay, today my company's worth about X mm-hmm. and I want it to be Y in the future. And, and how do I get there? And you you and I, uh, uh, we've adopted this terminology just over the years from talking to owners of what really resonates is more sustainable, predictable, and transferable cash flow de-risk the company. So maybe in your words, what does de-risking the company mean to you? And what does that do to the, the overall value of the company? The cash flow of the company is affected by a lot of things. 
and it affects that sustainability, predictability, and transferability. And I think that the easiest way is to give an example. If if you had a if you had, if you and I own companies in the same industry, same size, same revenue, same EBITDA, we'll get to that later, same cash flow. My company has 80% of its revenue coming from two customers. And your company has no customer with more than 5%. Mm-hmm where the revenue is no more than five, one customer is no more than 5%. That alone says your company's worth more than mine because if I lost one or two of my customers, 80% of my business would be gone. Mm-hmm. That's what we mean about risk of the cash flow. If, in my company, if every decision runs across my desk and I have to make every single decision and nobody can do anything on their own, and you've got a management team that's forward-looking and strategic thinking and, and takes responsibility for their own things, and you can go off on vacation for a month, your company's worth more because the cash flow is more sustainable and predictable mm-hmm. and transferable. So there are things that affect the risk of that cash flow that when you start to realize those things, you can address and say, how do I de-risk my company? How, how do I make decisions and implement strategies that will that will reduce the risk of the cash flow in the future for, for a company? And you and I talk about this concept that um, I have tended to really enjoy because I think it, it helps me communicate the, the, the complex world of valuations into something that is easily understood of this intrinsic financial value versus the transaction value, strategic transaction value. Maybe you want to kind of give your definition of the intrinsic financial value and then I'll, I'll take the transaction value because yeah. then we want to talk about how to how like what people can control and what they can do about it. Yeah. So the intrinsic value is the value of your cash flows as they exist in your company today. Period. Not that you've got it on the market and listing it and, and your competitor wants to buy it. You're going to talk about that. If if you were going to sell your business to me and I was just going to step into your owner's shoes, nothing else changed. What's the value of that cash flow? That's the intrinsic value. And, and valuations start there. No purpose to the deal or anything. It's just what is the value of that stream of cash flows into the future as they exist today in your company? So that is the intrinsic value. And you can measure that. That's what ESOPs do. That's what all kinds mm-hmm. of companies do is just measure their, their intrinsic value. And, and even companies that are sold, for what are called financial multiples, where mm-hmm. it is just the ownership, like yours transferring to me, they would they would use uh, the intrinsic value to determine to determine that valuation. And that's what we're going to continue to unpack for the most of this episode, because the next episode we're going to be talking to financial buyers to understand, like, how, you know, how they're viewing that cash flow, and then the the, the episode after that, the transaction value, but. Because today we want to talk about these concepts so people can understand them and then what mm-hmm. to do about them. And just to talk briefly about the strategic transaction value that, again, will be in the third episode of this series, is like Pat said, there's a buyer and a seller that come together and then there's the purpose of the deal. There's like two entities or two partners or two. There's a lot of human beings and emotions and strategies that go into play that someone could pay a premium, as Pat said, we're like, you know, they synergies, back office, get into ge- de- different geographic locations, product services. They pay a premium because they see the ability to get the return on investment. Someone might have a discount because it's a family business. They don't need the liquidity and they're going to gift it to their kids through the estate plan. Point is, that's what gets talked about. 
And that's not something that you can plan on because you don't know what that's going to be. And today we want to talk about what we can plan on and control. So that way we have more choices to, you know, to vet out the different strategies later. So we're going to put that into the parking lot and then talk about the concepts and the terminology that people can view to find that point A that you're talking about, Pat. And so when you're talking about the measuring and monitoring and projecting out the value of your business, let's talk about like what, you know, there's a couple of different, there's only two numbers that are made up to get to the enterprise value. And we're going to get to that in a sec, but like, let's start talking about what should people understand to truly understand as it relates to they, if they have a company, how do they start going about thinking about what that risk of that cash flow is today that the, of the company that they own? Well, yeah, and you, I'm not sure this is where you're going. The cash flow, though, do you want to talk about the risk of it or, or defining the cash flow first? Um, honestly, think, either way. Yeah, either way, because we, we, either way is a good starting spot. Yeah, so the cash flow in the valuation world is represented by what's called EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Um, it's what it's what the the investment world uses, and it's a proxy for cash flow. So uh, there are a couple different ways of calculating cash flow, but that's what the investment world has settled on. You can take your financial statements, you take your net income, you add back non-cash items like depreciation and amortization, and you ba- add back interest and taxes because uh, you assume a debt-free uh, situation with the company. Um, and so that is the. Can, can it you, is, let, me, let me pause you for a second. Yeah. Can you explain why that that's important for the world of valuations and investors? Why getting to that proxy for free cash flow is so important? Because it, it puts everybody on the same. On the, everybody's using the same definition of of what it is they're they're talking about. When you go to sell your company, and if I think my EBITDA is a million bucks and you think it's 500,000 chances are we're never going to get to, to a mutual, (laughs) to a mutual transaction because we have just a different view of the world. EBITDA is a calculation. You can, you or I, or anybody could look at a set of financial statements that had a sufficient detail and come up with what's called reported EBITDA. It is just the mathematical calculation of starting with net income, adding those things back and getting to EBITDA. So that it is a proxy for cash flow, and that's where it all starts. And every business owner should be looking at this all the time because mm-hmm. it, it's just easy to calculate, and it's a, and it's a starting point for coming up with what your what your company might be worth. So then let's in in EBITDA, you know, so a company the enterprise value, and again we'll get into enterprise and equity value in a little bit, but you know, there's two numbers. There's the normalized or adjusted EBITDA times by a multiple. That gets yep. to the value of the company. So there's, that's why you said it's so important to get on the same page because one of the two numbers that is multiplied on, you got to have agreement on both. So yeah. EBITDA is not one of those numbers. It's normalized or adjusted EBITDA. So you want to kind of expand on that. Yep. And then also why you shouldn't wait till the deal to be calculating that. Right. So the first definition we talked about was what we call reported EBITDA. It's just the calculation right off the financial statements. Then you need to go through a process of what's called normalizing that EBITDA. And that is making adjustments to that reported EBITDA number to get to a revised or normalized earnings EBITDA number, um, which is really the true view of the cash flow of the company that would exist if you weren't the owner. And, and some examples of 
uh, um, adjustments to EBITDA, and you you know this too from going through everything you've been through. For example, if you had somebody on the payroll who wasn't doing work, now we're not at all suggesting people take tax deductions for for expenses where people aren't doing work, but just let's just say, for example, that was the case. Maybe you know that's not a that's not an expense that's normal in the business. That person's not doing the work. And so, because uh, if you were the owner and that was happening and I bought the company, I wouldn't have to do that to keep the machine going. That. If my uncle Billy was on the payroll, not doing anything, or I'm paying him and he spends five hours a week, but I'm paying him some outrageous amount of money, you know, and, and I sold the company, that expense would go away. So we're adding that back. If you, if you had in a particular year, you redesign your website, start to finish and you spent $50,000. Well, it's not something you do every year, um, so you you don't want to you don't want to have that expense in there. You would add that back. These are unusual or one time expenses or expenses that really don't belong as as part of the cost structure of the company. And you 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 broke like I want I want to just kind of put a wrap around two parts of that because you you mentioned Uncle Billy, and I think a lot of times people think about that. They think about the cars or the tires or the different things that the owners, call. I'm going to wrap it all into the like owner's perks. But then over here, you talk about the website. So you yeah. know, let's talk about owner's perks at you know, our, the gray area or whatever that everybody kind of assumes, kind of put that over there. Maybe expand upon the website concept and why the website, maybe we can throw a couple other examples on why those would be also considered the same thing. Yeah, because you're you're looking for a normalized EBITDA over a number of years. You want to look back two or three or four years, and and if you have some big expenses, you have a, a website uh, expenditure that you have, and you only have it every five or seven years. You don't you don't want to burden you don't want to burden the year with that. If if you were uh, if you engage with a recruiter to hire a, a top executive, and you you know that rarely happens. It, you know it's the first mm-hmm. time in your in your existence, you've ever done that, and you spend, you know, forty thousand dollars doing that. That's that's an ad back. Um, so those are unusual or one-time expenses, or ones that aren't really directly related to the to the cost structure of running the business. Those are ones you want to list and add back to EBITDA to get to normalized EBITDA. If you think about a sale at some point down the road. And you've got these expenses in your in your financial statements, in your income statement. You're going to want to tell the potential buyer, look, here's a whole bunch of expenses that aren't really germane to the business. And so we've added them back to get to normalized EBITDA. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to give them that list. They're not going to come to you and say, hey, you know, why don't we add back $100,000 to, to EBITDA? Just, you know, because you probably have some expenses in there that that aren't legit. So it, it's really important. Plus, in running the business, you want to get a true picture of the cash flow. Mm-hmm. How much yourself. is this business really generating? You know, um, um, as, as a business, excluding some of these unusual or one-time items. And what I think that that helps, and I've watched our clients or other business owners that run their company like assets, like we're talking about, Pat, is that normalization exercise on a monthly basis. First of all, you don't get to a sale and you have to go back five years and think about the story that you have to then recreate and like, my God. But also is I watch people then like the owners that we talk about, they're the normalization that that recruiter expense or that website, they have less cash that year, but they're investing in the company for uh-huh. a reason. And on the last uh, series, you and I talked about using a three statement model to project in the future. And it's like, hey, you can see that 
yourself. Right. And so like, I think, right. I guess my point about bringing that up is I think that a lot of owners, the, the stuff that sucks doing sometimes like installing a new website or an ERP system becomes more palatable when you know that there's a reason you're doing it. Right. And, and you think, well, this, this is costing me, you know, when it, when, you know, and I'm the accountant, so I, I like to watch the cost, but, but, you know, it's an investment in things, but it, it's important to do this because if you want to know what's my company worth today, because I'm marching towards some future value at some point in the future, again, whether or not you're selling it, I just want this asset to grow, mm-hmm. you know, getting to that normalized EBITDA number. I mean, you could literally have a company that shows zero net income that had a whole bunch of normalized EBITDA. So until yeah. you get to that number, how do, how do you have any idea uh, what it is you're doing? And, you know, you can track them in the in the financial statements without getting too technical. You can have separate chart of account numbers that are like for these unusual one-time items. I literally do that with clients. And then in your financial statements, you can just add it back. It, it's not like you have to go through this big exercise every month. You can just, it can, it can happen very mechanically. And you can say, okay, my year-to-date or my trailing 12 months, more importantly, my trailing 12 months EBITDA reported shows 600000 but with the normalized EBITDA is 800000 mm-hmm. And that's that, what we're going to time a multiple really by. <laughs> Pardon? That's what we're going to times a multiple by. So, like, I want yeah. the 800 yeah. not the 500 And also, Pat, I watched, like, it's the narrative or how people discuss this that really starts to show the behavior change and how they're viewing their company. Because like, I remember one of our clients a couple of years ago, like I didn't do that well. And then they told me their net income. And then you go down to the normalized EBITDA and normalized EBITDA that month was actually higher than the previous month. Yeah. So it was like, well, you're just looking at the, the, the wrong number because net income yeah. is not part of the valuation equation. It's the normalized it's EBITDA. It's part of it, but, but it, it, it's, it's, it's the beginning of it. But yeah, part part of the math equation, it's not the end result. It's, it's, yeah, it's, not, it's not the end number. It's not, it's, that's not the proxy for cash flow. I mean, it, 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 it literally is not. I want to I be careful too. There's some adjustments to EBITDA that can go the other way, that can subtract mm-hmm. from... No, reported EBITDA to get to normalized EBITDA. For example, if you owned your company and for whatever reason you were CEO and you paid yourself $40,000, but market, it was 120. Mm-hmm. Well, that $80,000 a year is a negative. You got to, you got to add cost or subtract from your reported EBITDA because if in a normal situation, if you weren't the owner, somebody would have to sit in that seat and be paid $120,000. So it's important to get these things right uh, without trying to skew it one way or the other. Because the day you transition your ownership, and all ownership will transition in one day. Nobody lives forever. So it's going to transition at one day. A potential buyer is going to dig through this, and, and they're going to they're come to understand that. So it's it's, you're just much better ahead. You're leveling the playing field by by understanding this now as you go along. And you're pulling on a concept that we talked about in the last theme, which is your job versus your ownership role and then normalizing of your salary. So many people play games with that. I mean, I don't know how many people, but it's got to be a, a disproportionate percentage of the people who play games one way or the other with the owner's salary. And you can't get a clear picture of what your right. company's worth or what your income needs are without doing that. So again, you're right. just lying to your, the only person that matters is yourself in this situation. Yeah. Taking a low salary and higher distributions for, or the other way around for, yep. for whatever reason, which I don't advocate. Um, you know, you, you got to get to that true normalized EBITDA. That is 
very represent that's the representation of cash flow of a business and then you know then you got to figure out how sustainable predictable and transferable do you think it is um in in order to complete the the valuation equation so then there's this multiple that that normalized ebitda is is uh times by multiplied by so you know people call it the multiple multiplier with all the different terminology but it's essentially another number I know we're going to straighten that out today. I know, I know. It's not multiplier. So many people say multiplier. I'm like, what? Not a lot of math majors. All all the entrepreneurs, you know, they bailed out and then (laughs) the multiple. So we're, you know, we're not going to get too granular into the weighted average cost of capital, but let's let's demystify a little bit of where the heck does that number come from and what is it representing? So the multiple. represents how risky somebody thinks your cash flow is. In our situation that we were describing before, it was like a case study. You and I have the same business, same industry, same revenue, same same normalized EBITDA, but I've got customer concentration problems. I've got a crappy management team. My financials aren't good you know, um, and all that kind of thing. And yours is just the opposite. You know, you've got no customer concentration problem. You've got a great management team, um, those kind of things. Somebody's going to be willing to pay more for your company than mine because they're going to view your cash flow as more sustainable, predictable, and transferable. So the multiple represents the number of years of normalized EBITDA somebody's willing to pay you for your business. Um, I love it. It, it could be a five, for example, or a seven. You know, so somebody, if somebody says, I'm going to pay you 5X, and that's kind of how people do it, say, and you have a million dollars worth of normalized EBITDA, somebody's saying, I'm going to pay you $5 million for your business. From their point of view, if nothing changes about the business, they'll get their money back in five years. And have an now, asset. And have an asset. In my, in the case if they're buying mine, they're like, man, you got a lot of problems in your company. So we're only going to pay you a three mm-hmm. because we're not sure that cash flow is going to show up um, um, because of all the risk associated with with what's going on in your in your company. So it has to do with risk, but in 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 the valuation world, it's a number of years that somebody's willing to pay. A number of years of cash flow that somebody's willing to pay you for your business. When you're talking about intrinsic value, there's industry guidelines and standards and valuation folks like your guests that are coming on the next couple of weeks. They have access to databases. They can say, okay, somebody in the automotive industry and this size, this location, this number of employees, you know, go through some metrics. You know, the the multiple is between four and six, mm-hmm. just, to, just to give an example. So, mm-hmm. You can get access to that information and then use that, apply that to your normalized EBITDA on an ongoing basis and, and understand what your company could be worth in a in a uh, in a intrinsic value way. And you 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 said the the perfect word. It's directional guidelines, right? Like this is not something you're going to transact on or buy out your partner on or anything. It's to know is your company worth two million, twenty million? Like yep. I mean, and and to get some realistic expectations that it's not twenty times revenue because a SaaS company at the country club also said that, and you've got a yeah. dry cleaner. <laughs> and I think yeah. just to speak on, and, and we can unpack a little bit of the uh, kind of the guidelines and. Because again, you don't need to get a thirty thousand dollar valuation to get these guidelines. You know, 
we talk, you know, a lot of people talk about asset, you know, they're the different industries, which private equity firms call asset classes, but we call them industries. I mean, it's just all the same thing, but a CPA firm has different risk than a e-commerce, different risk than a SaaS business, different risk than manufacturing and distribution. You want to speak to kind of like just, in, I don't know if you have a comment on that or just kind of just realizing that that's also inherently built into some of these multiples. Oh yeah. Different industries have different ranges of multiple size can matter. Typically, the bigger you are, the less risky the cash flow is. I mean, it's not always the case, but generally, geography, age of company, industry, you know, if you, if you were in California making plastic straws, <laughs> you know, you, your multiple is probably not going to be very high because of, of, uh, of, of just the environment there. But you don't have to go through some gigantic exercise. A lot of people belong to industry trade groups. There's a lot of information available today that says, you know, um, what multiples might apply to certain size companies. Pepperdine, I think you've had the, I think you've had one of the the, mm-hmm. the folks from Pepperdine University who private publishes. Cap, yeah, private capital market yeah. study or something like that. Yeah, um, you know they publish some things. We work with people, valuation companies, who will kind of who not kind of, they will come in and do a streamlined valuation. They'll look at your company. They'll take your financials. They'll do some modeling have a management interview and say, we think the multiples for your company are between five and seven, whatever it might be. So, and it's not super expensive. There are ways to get this information that you can then apply to your financials on an ongoing basis to watch the trend of the value of your company. It's really important to do today. It's really important to say, here's the stake in the ground today of my company might be worth between three and $4 million. I want it to, in 10 years, I want it to be worth, I'm, I don't know if the math's good, eight or $9 million, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever that might be. If you don't know where you are today, it's hard to know what to do to get to where you want to be at some point in the future. Again, whether or not you're selling, I can't, I, I know I've said that a lot, but it, this is not about waiting till you have somebody calling you want to buy your company or your you know, you turn my age and you're like, you want, okay, I want to sell my business. Now, what do I do? <laughs> I'm so, I, I, it's my most disheartening conversation I have on a weekly basis with people. It's like, you don't have enough time. Yeah. You, you don't want to wait. Now's the time. Hopefully well, folks your age that are doing this, there's, the, and, and we've had people say, oh, I don't need to do that yet. I'm not thinking about selling my business. And I look at them and I say, wrong answer. <laughs> Just point blank, wrong. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> well, and in, 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 I don't want to take us too much on a tangent, but I think it's a relevant comment here is that this is what I ha- why I have an issue with the words exit planning. Because someone waits till the year that they want to sell. And it's like, well, you missed an opportunity of the 18 months it takes to hire the exec recruiter, find the president, put the comp plan in place, roll the strategic plan. In. I mean, like it takes time to invest in the things oh. that grew, grow the value of the company. And yeah. Pat, like, I mean, you think much better it is if you had 10 years to get to the valuation (laughs) you want as opposed to 10 months. Right. And I don't know of any private equity firm that does exit planning. No, they build assets and they trade them when the value is correct. And I just, and again, I I think that there's a place to help people understand that. But that's why I think just to put a big exclamation point behind what you said is this is about growing an asset that gives you the choices that you want long term. And then you, like, if you're doing what you're saying, by normalizing the EBITDA and tracking that, you could figure out how do I want to invest my comp or my dollars to de-risk my cash flow, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like otherwise you have no guidance. I mean, I, how have you? Go ahead, go for it. 
No, go tell the, because you tell it better than I do. Um, the story about we had a client who thought his company was worth X and his oh. his CPA or whoever saying, oh, you're in great shape. And then he comes out to find it's worth third of the X. Why don't you tell that? Yeah, story? I'll tell that. And then it's actually going to lean into the next uh, couple topics about like understand what goes into your actual bank account. But like, you know, this this gentleman that went through our training with you and I, you know, his wealth manager, which I covered in the last uh, series where we were talking about, don't put the enterprise value, like the purchase price, that wealth manager said, I think it's worth 7 million bucks. He was doing like 15 million in revenue, 1.1 in EBITDA or something like that. It's like 50 to 70 employees. And it's like, no, it's not worth 7 million bucks. The actual value is 5.5, pay some taxes, pay some debt. And he walks away with 2.5. Just half a million or half five, five million bucks short. Almost. Yeah. It's like, geez. And at that point, he was what in his mid sixties or something. So like, how much in in like what it, what breaks my heart is when it's the people that don't have energy to get the reward that they deserve for all that hard work. And they, it's right. like because by the time they say I want out, and it's like to get the valuation you want, you're gonna have to burn you know like reinvest your cash flow for the next four years to yeah. hopefully or, get or it. Or some health event occurs, you know, and and you just don't you just can't. You, you you can't do it. Find out today what it's worth, regardless of where you are mentally thinking about selling. Even if you're thinking that's not even on the table, that's fine. It's a good feeling. Of course, I got to be careful here in in in, in June of, of 2022. But to watch your stock portfolio, your assets go up, or your home value to go up, or I mean, that's a that's a cool feeling to watch the value of that. You want to do the same with the, your ownership in the business. You want to. You want to watch that value go up and be on a path that will get you to the point where you have choices to do with your ownership, what you want to do. And you, but and you don't I, know that in the absence of information. It's just well, and I think you and I we we honed in on something when we did the story brand material on Arcona a couple of years ago. We're like, there's this the innate anxiety and frustration for the lack of. I'm gonna let you say it the lack of what people, most people are feeling progress. Sorry. I know oh, I'm not progress. trying to, I'm not Sorry. trying to do it to you. Not trying to put you on the spot. You do that all the time to me. I never know what you're going to say. But it's a lack of progress. And I think you and I identified yeah. that that lack of progress is because people don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Like you're spending right. all this time, money and energy and you have zero idea <laughs> whether it's growing well, value or not. If, if you don't understand what the value of your company is or what it's going to be, how do you know if you're making progress? <laughs> It's ridiculous. Keep coming work and work hard and, you know, that's work. And then is that manifesting itself in, in your ownership? That's, that's what, that's one of the missing pieces that I think causes business owners the most anxiety. I, amen to that. And I had, I, had a, I, had a, I had a client once who, but before I met you, who's like, if you could help me sell my business and, and get $15 million, then sell it. And I'm like, no. <laughs> because it's worth a whole lot more than that. He had he didn't even know. I mean, you know, like a he, like significantly more than that. <laughs> significantly more. I mean, so it, it, you in order to measure progress, you have to you have to know what the value is. And I mean, well, before you can we do move, that on an ongoing basis. Well, and before we even move on to the enterprise equity net proceeds, is the people you and I did an episode. I don't know if it was a year or two ago about. The fact that most people don't even pick up the phone or the email about out of the blue offers. Right. And, and why is that? 
Well, because they, they, don't, they won't know what to say. If somebody offers me $3 million for my company or $5 million, is that a good deal? Is that a bad deal? Is, I didn't even know the language to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what language to use to talk to them? So they just avoid that. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine if somebody calls and said, hey, I'm interested in buying your business? they like, of course, you get an NDA, but you're like, okay, here's here's my normalized EBITDA. Here's the multiple for my size, and my cash flow is really sustainable, predictable, and transferable. Here's why, and I won't, you know, I, I won't take a dollar just, under X. You've you've just leveled the playing field. I mean, well, you're now talking the language of private equity and and mm-hmm. all these other situations, and those are the ones that that have that have the advantage. And and you tell a for story the moment, for, the for the moment. moment. <laughs> hey, well. Well, it's funny because like there's two trillion dollars of dry powder from private equity firms that are trying to buy good companies, and I always say that the companies with the cash flow actually have the prize, and the private equity firms are chasing the prize. <laughs> so yeah. like acknowledge the fact that you have the upper hand, especially if you have got this kind of language. But also, as we talk, you tell this story about when you were running one of the businesses, you bought a company. And you paid the gentleman. He was so happy. You paid him about a third oh. of what the company was worth. And he told probably everyone he crushed it. Yeah. I mean, we, we bought a company. And like, like you said, we paid the, the gentleman to the nickel what he asked for. And it was worth about a third. Uh, it wasn't my job to tell him it was worth more. I, I worked. You didn't do the normalized EBITDA and say, hey, by the way, here's the next one. <laughs> no, I just said, do I have, is this number right? Do I have this number right? Yeah. Okay, I'll, okay. Get you, I'll get you a DocuSign uh, we'll, in we'll like four minutes. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Purchase agreement. <laughs> So, but it, it's a little bit sad. I don't want that to happen right. to people. We certainly don't want it to happen to our clients. But but it's um, it's not some big mystery. I mean, it, it seems like this whole other world. Now, I'm not minimizing the complexity of, of valuations. That world for transactions, for ESOPs, for mm-hmm. you know publicly traded companies. For I, look, it's a. Some of the people I respect most in the world live in the mm-hmm. in the valuation world. They and they super smart, and it can be complicated. But you can if it, when you're just trying to put that stake in the ground, there's a way to do it that's not overly burdensome. It's not burdensome at all, and provides enough clarity. To say, okay, here's within this range. Here's where I am today, and I want to be within this range in X amount of time. And I think then it gets to the value growth, which is a whole other topic. But but then you can, if you know where you are and where you want to go, you can then set upon developing strategies to get there. Well said. I I, I want to expand. Thank upon you. The, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> if it, if it wasn't well said, I'll just cut it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so um, is it is complicated, but when you get to the transaction, because there's people, purposes of the deal, like all of that stuff that comes to the table. But I think to just reemphasize is you or anybody should be able to dig their heels in based on the story that they're telling about the risk of their cash flow. And they should be able to yield that valuation because they engineered a company with that kind of cash flow. Then all the other stuff becomes true noise and complexity, but you have the option to say no if you don't like things that present themselves. Yeah. If, if you arm yourself with this information, you make it a whole lot less complex when you get to the actual transaction. So it, it really is. You can just say, here it is, you know, and, and let me explain this to you one more time. <laughs> so I would tell, tell the story about how you like to negotiate of what the buyer said when. <laughs> well, I, I was, had a client, I worked at a company and, 
it's, it's okay. Our partner, Matt, worked there as well. And somebody wanted to buy us. And so we gave them a number and we didn't move off it. We knew exactly what we wanted. We knew, <laughs> I'd say, here's the synergies. Here's the, here's the normalized EBITDA. Here's the mold. I mean, you know, and, and they kept trying to negotiate and we're like, we were in, we were in ESOP, loved it. And uh, we didn't move a nickel and they ended up paying it. But in the end they said, you guys have an interesting way of negotiating. I said, how's that? And he's like, you don't. <laughs> I'm like, well, we know what we want. We know the numbers. We, you know, we had done the homework. Mm-hmm. We had, we, you know, but we were in ESOP, so we were doing valuation work. We were coming up with that intrinsic value every single year. I and mean, we hadn't been in ESOP, but for a couple of years. But we knew what that company was worth in an intrinsic value way. They were laying on their needs to mm-hmm. it, which enabled us to get a premium. But that that's a kind of a... And, story and we'll, we'll, we'll be diving into that in the next couple episodes. But now I want to go back to that story that I told about it was $7 million, It was actually $5 million on his personal financial statement. And that is what enterprise value is. So you want you however you want to take it, but there's the three yeah. layers and, and then we'll yeah. unpack it. So normalized EBITDA, which we talked about, times a multiple based on industry, size, risk, all those kinds of things. When you multiply those together and you get value, and we call that enterprise value. So that is the top line, what a purchase price would be, those kinds of things. If you think about your house, that's what the market value of, of your house would be. Call that enterprise value. Simply the normalized EBITDA times a multiple. And that's where somebody will say, oh, my business is worth $8 million. Well, it could be, and they could be talking about enterprise value. Um, so technically, it, they're factually right, right? Could be, and uh, you know, and they, and if they, but they're making a mistake if they put that on their personal financial state. Why is that? Because from enterprise value, you go to equity value. Just much, much like your house it goes from what the market says your house is worth. Your house may be worth four hundred thousand dollars on the market, but if you owe three hundred thousand dollars. Your equity value in your house is $100,000. Same with a business. If, you, if your business is worth $8 million, but you have debt of $6 million, I'm making up a big number probably, mm-hmm. the equity value of your business is only $2 million. Not only, I'm not minimizing $2 mm-hmm. million, but it's, it's certainly not eight. So if you put $8 million on your financial statements, you sure as heck better have the $6 million of the company's debt on your financial statements and your financial statement as well. Or you're, you're in our, we had a client that had that. When he, when he had the $7 million on there, it was overstated by about almost three times of what. Which, it's so common. It's so common. It just, it's, it's so common that people almost sometimes don't believe us <laughs> that it's like, yeah. no, this is truly just how math works and how valuations work. And I just got to tell the story because it was so absurd. It was years ago and there was a home service company and this owner said to me, and I remember looking at your face when I told you this story. And I said, the owner said to me that, well, that's fine, but I don't have to take, I don't have to pay taxes if I'm over 55. <laughs> your face was about the way it is right now. Like, Oh, that, then just keep it, keep it till you're over the 50, 56, man. Then you, then that $4 million just magically disappears. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, it's, it's not that complicated, but people have so many, so many wrong impressions. So enterprise normalized EBITDA times a multiple $8 million. Let's just stick with that example. You have debt of 
of six, you get to keep your cash if you were to sell your business. The goal is to come up with a number that would go in your bank account if you were to sell your business today. Because top line number, I don't care if your house is worth a million dollars, if you owe $990,000 on it and you sold it, you wouldn't even get the $10,000 because you probably have costs related to it. But the enterprise value minus the debt, you do get to keep the cash. If you have cash in the company, call that net debt, gets you to equity value. Let's follow through our example. $8 million minus the $6 million of debt is $2 million of equity value. If you were to sell your business today, you're going to have to pay taxes on the gain of your sale. So let's just make up a number and say that's a half a million dollars. You subtract that from your equity value. You may have some costs related to lawyers, you know, doing the transactions, well, lawyers, all that. But let's just assume all that's captured in that $500,000. Now you're at a million and a half. Not making light of a million and a half dollars, but it's not eight. Right, And, and if I, by chance you have two or three partners <laughs> and that gets split, now it, it's less. So the idea, and, and those are called net proceeds. After everything's said and done, what would go in my bank account today if I were to sell it, even if I'm not thinking about selling it? Because you could, you could have built a company that has a tremendous amount of enterprise value, but it's taken a huge amount of debt to get there. So your equity value is not where it should be. And and you need to know that. So you need to go through what's called this waterfall Mm -hmm. to get to net proceeds, which is an estimate of what would go in your bank account today if you sold it. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say in this, just to kind of cover some more ground is the reason that people should measure and monitor the intrinsic value based on the cash flow is because they're not bank- banking on some hypothetical strategic buy. It's it's just ba- based on these the, in between the white lines of things that are relatively within everybody's control. You can measure, monitor all the things that you talked about on a monthly basis. So maybe kind of you know get, shed some light of like you know if someone's got a CFO like what you've been doing for our clients and our team does. But anybody again, you don't need to use us or anybody. Like this is all possible on a monthly basis. So how do you get that visibility? of the enterprise equity and net proceeds on any and on any regular basis without doing a deal. Oh yeah. You just build it right into your financial statement package every month where, you, where you're taking trailing 12 months, which is, you know, it takes out all the, the fluctuations of the past year, apply the adjustments to get to normalize, do the reported EBITDA calculation, list the adjustments, get to normalized EBITDA, put the range of multiples four to six, do the math. And math. then uh, do the math, that's simple math. <laughs> then, then you can subtract, you can add your cash, subtract out your debt to get equity value, and then assume a tax rate and a, and a cost of doing the transaction. And then you get to net proceeds. It's literally can be part of your financial reporting package every month. And then after you do this for a long period of time, you can even go back and see where it was, you know, in, in previous years. But going forward, then you can just graph and see what's my net proceeds estimate doing over time? Is it going up? Is it going down? Is it staying the same? Am I getting close to achieving my goal? Am I, am I not? Um, and and it, it's not hard to do. It's just, it's just, you got to have clean financials and then you got to understand these concepts and, uh, and just, and just do the math. And I would suggest for people listening in on the Arcona website, on the homepage where we have the five videos and the five principles and principle four, Pat and I actually have a little bit of a video that we show of like kind of what this looks like. I mean, and going back to like, what does this mean and how do people's actions 
change when they have this information. So maybe kind of just, I don't know if you have any stories in particular, but like, how do things well, change once you have this? It is, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate it. It's, it's very enlightening, you know, like most people think their company's worth more than it is. And even on an enterprise value basis, certainly on a net proceeds basis, they haven't thought through all the adjustments to get for, you know, through the waterfall to get from enterprise to net proceeds. And, and sometimes it can be kind of a, a little bit of a shock. Like you're kidding me, really? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, and we had that a little bit with, with, we've had that with clients. They think it's worth most you know, people, seven right? and it's actually what we go in their bank accounts two and a half. In, in an odd way, after the shock, it's very enlightening it, and it's, it's very empowering to say, okay, here's where I am and I want to get here. Then the next step is what strategies do we, do we develop and implement to get us there? But it can also say, hey, I'm pretty close to where I want to be. Then my options are I could do an ESOP. I could transfer, you know, sell it to my management team or, you know, things like that on a, on a financial multiple basis. Or somebody could say, hey, I need to squeeze every last nickel out of this when I sell it in 15 years or 10 years or whatever mm-hmm. the number is. So I'm going to develop strategies to do that. You know, mm-hmm. knowing that that's going to be my option. It's not for us to judge, but when they when they get some insight into this, it then kind of frees them up to think about the other things, the strategies and the business and and those kind of things to to help them get to the point where they do have choices mm-hmm. and, and achieve what it is they want to want to achieve. So, to as we're rounding close to home here, um, I think about like the intrinsic financial value and like when it would tear words. It was so empowering and lightning years ago when that hit home for me. And this is all within the control of the people that own the companies that are listening into the show right now. And like when I, when it, for some reason, when it hit me, Pat, and I don't know if this is just how I think, um, but it was about like the reason that that intrinsic financial value is based on the risk of the cash flow has a lot to do with how the company is going to pay for the purchase to someone else, right? Because it's a lot, a mm-hmm. lot to do with the ability for that cash flow to service the debt for that sure. next person. So you want to maybe kind of explain why that, like why that would work for some, like hypo, you know, going that $8 million valuation, like why that would work out based on just, here's what, here's my point of this is that the owners that are listening in that focus on the intrinsic financial value, you can almost guarantee your company's gonna be worth it because it's proving that the story that can be the cash flow can service the purchase price that everybody's discussing. Right. Yeah, I mean, some buyer who's going to analyze buying your company, they're going to build this into their model like we do with our clients when we're when we're buying companies and just project out future years of cash flow. What what kind of return am I going to get on this investment if I if I pay X million dollars for it? And and you model it out through the three statements like we've talked about before and you come up with the internal rate of return. And they're like, okay, this thing will pay for itself and I'll make money over the next five years or whatever. But a third party buyer is doing that with their infrastructure and their stuff, right? Not the. Yeah, sometimes, but sometimes they analyze it just on the target, just on the company they're Mm -hmm. buying. Mm -hmm. Will it pay for itself? If, if the, if the buyer can bring something to the table, cross sell products, you know, those kind of things, that's just kind of gravy on top of it. But somebody's going to look at and say, based on the intrinsic value, will this, if I buy this, will it pay for itself mm-hmm. over a period, five, six, seven years, whatever period of time it is? And that's how people are looking at it. And so the cash flow, the sustainability of it and the predictability and the transferability 
is what's key to some buyer thinking, okay, this is this is a good deal. I can I can do this because I can enhance the operations. I can, you know, do whatever other things they they want to do with it if that if it's a strategic. And it's about when you say pay for itself, it's the ability to service the debt, right? Because like mm-hmm. in like it's so interesting too because like. If someone like like in that eight million dollars, let's say that person thought their company was worth twelve million, I mean, you could literally just run a math equation and say it can't pay for itself, yeah. <laughs> right? Like yeah. the SBA loan won't lend too much, or it would be too high of monthly payments, and it's just the the numbers don't work. Oh, and I've working with clients who are trying to buy companies, and the and the seller wants a double what it's worth. Sometimes I've shown them the model. I'm like, this will not pay for itself. I mean, this thing will not cash flow. So why why would we do that? You know, um, just because you think it's worth twenty x or whatever, whatever. <laughs> we we really had one recently that thought they were worth for a nanosecond. They thought they were worth twenty x. <laughs> oh boy, Some fundamentals. That that word hopefully mean it will mean a lot more in the coming year and years. So. The, to kind of wrap up, because we've got other themes that you and I are going to be kicking off throughout the rest of the year. We're going to be talking about how to grow value, de-risk. So we're going to get into a lot more of this meat. But you and I talk about the three things that people can do today with their business. You want to just take it because I, I, I love how succinct these three items are. Yeah. You can increase your normalized EBITDA, increase the multiple, and pay down debt. When you do all those things... Some of them increase enterprise value that waterfalls down to net proceeds. Some of them influence equity value, which which also um, influence it falls down and, and influences net proceeds. Yeah, focusing on those things will help you to maximize all three: the enterprise value, the equity value, and the net proceeds of your business, which is really what you're trying to get to. You want you want to you want to maximize what would go in your pocket. Mm-hmm. On a, on a transaction, and, and that's what the real measure is. I uh, when I heard the I, I did that panel with the private equity firm that just dropped those three things, and he's like, Ryan, is what we do is not that complicated. We increase EBITDA, increase multiple, we paid on that, and we make a bunch of money doing it. And yeah. he was so animated. I was like, there, you can just tell he was spewing truth <laughs> out of yeah. out of his yeah. mouth. That's what every private equity in the firm <laughs> in, the, in the country does. That's what we did at ours. So I would just say like uh, for you and I's discussion here for the listeners in, you and I have created this intentional growth financial assessment that's got the foundation of the financials and four components. And I would just suggest everybody go take mm-hmm. that. It's They don't need their financials. And then the results page, there's a couple of videos. I don't know if you want to maybe describe what we show in the vi- couple of videos or if you remember if I just forced I you to do a, <laughs> forced you to do a video. You're the one that does all the videos, but it we try and show what good looks like. And, and, you know, there's just some foundational things that you need to have in place in order for what we talked about today. You have to have good financials, good monthly financials, and you have to understand these things. So taking that financial assessment, finding out where it is, a lot of times, not a lot of times, sometimes people think, oh, the accounting and finance function is, you know, it's just kind of a pain. It just pays the bills. When you're a business owner and you start thinking about your business as an asset, and your goal is to grow the value of that asset, having good, clean financials um, that are accurate, timely, and useful uh, is, is essential. And, and you can't short-circuit that. And if you invest in that, then it'll it'll literally pay itself, uh, pay dividends on it. And I think about like the dynamic that you and I have had with Arcona, and then we watch a lot of our clients with themselves and the CFO. It's like the visionary and then the financial reality behind it. 
it's like being able to see the like how the impact of your ideas are and you know you and i have how many times we say like the language of business is the financials and every business owner you and i know can tell a really good story about the history Mm -hmm. of the company where it could go and then the next question is prove it Like yeah. someone's got to build financials, financials would tell the story of the business. Yeah. It's a part of the story of the business. Well, all right, Mr. Abby, thank you so right. much for coming on. I don't even, do you want to do even what's the, you know, where to get in touch with you? Like, do you have a no, TikTok account, a Snapchat yeah, account? Yeah. I'm, all, I'm all over social media. As you know. <laughs> all right. Yeah, well, thank no, you so thank much you. for coming back on the show. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode, whether you were scribbling down notes and uh, drinking through a fire hose, or it was just a nice refresher, wherever you were in between. I hope these concepts and how we introduce them were beneficial to you because they've really helped me over the last handful of years, better understand valuations. And more importantly, when you're having a discussion with someone in your peer peer group or out at the bar or wherever the heck it is, you understand where they're coming from and how to put that into just essentially a context of a framework to say, were they talking about intrinsic financial value? Are they talking about some strategic multiple they got for whatever reason? You can put it into context and you can essentially assess whether you should care or not or how to what, what to do with that information. And even more important is how to break down and understand the value of your company as it stands today, as you, the owner, own it. So that way you can have a future impact by making sure you're doing the right things to grow that value. So I I just, again, as a reminder, next week, we're going to have Dave Deal on the podcast, CEO of Prairie Capital, where he's going to be talking about from a buyer's lens, again, from him being an ESOP uh, investment banker, as well as uh, you know helping with management buyouts, et cetera. We're going to be talking about from the lens of the valuation from a financial buyer. What are the things that they're thinking about? How do they view normalized EBITDA? How are they viewing the capital stack and the deal structure? And how are they assessing risk? So I really think you should tune in for that because it's a great uh, crash course. And then again, the uh, third episode in the series, we're going to be having Ted and Eric talking about how to brand for bio when you're maximizing purchase price to a third party sale. Thanks everybody for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will see you next week.